Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Reading and Evaluating the Demond Brothers and their cautionary tale status on what to do when your denomination or even your society abandon you and become hostile to you. There is a temptation to turn your beliefs, holding to what you know is the truth, into a cult. And not just any cult, but a kind of cult that lashes out at everything while becoming ignorant, manipulative, deceitful, and sneaky. Thus far, reviewing this book by Brother Peter DeMond, The Bible Proves the Teachings of the Catholic Church, we've seen them do everything but prove the teachings of the Roman Catholic Church using the Bible. Going through this over the past six episodes of this series, one is almost inspired to pity them. But that pity is extinguished as we get to today's section entitled, Justification by Faith Alone and Eternal Security Refuted by the Bible. Ah uh, yes, whatever pity I had for these guys is about to turn into complete irritation. On all fronts, by all means, I expect Roman Catholics listening to this to also find themselves quite annoyed. Of course, what's the first thing that they do? They bring out James 2.24. Ye see, then, how that by works a man is justified, and not by faith only. One of the most misunderstood and horribly mistreated verses in all of Scripture. And ironic, given that these men, in their monastery probably do not do good works before God that actually count as good works before God. But we'll get to that in a while here. Let's get into the meat of what they have to say about sola fide. The overwhelming majority of Protestants believe that the Bible teaches that people are justified, put into a state in which they will be saved, by faith alone in Jesus, i.e., apart from a consideration of their actions, deeds, or sins. Most of them also believe in once saved, always saved, or eternal security, that a man who believes in Jesus cannot lose his eternal salvation. These ideas are false and completely contrary to the teaching of the Bible. Let's look at the proof. After that, I will respond to objections. First off, what do you notice about that paragraph? They're tying in two topics that don't belong together. Justification by faith alone is not even remotely in the same topic as eternal security. Why would they do this? If you ask me, it's because Protestants do not agree with each other on the topic of eternal security. It's a perfect decoy, a perfect distraction, so that even though we are all on the same page, and we will all refute the garbage arguments they are about to make against sola fide, we're all going to disagree with each other on whether or not once saved, always saved is a thing. So while we're all on the same page about one topic, they can sneak in a lot more of their bad arguments by having this decoy out. These guys are smart. 
They know how to argue. They're not telling you the truth. Their arguments are not good, but they know how to argue rhetorically. Let's take a look here at this next section. Jesus says that men must radically cut off occasions of sin to avoid hell, not just believe. In Matthew chapter 5, we find the parable about cutting off one's hand or eye to avoid hell. Matthew 5, verses 29 through 30, And if thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. And if thy right hand offend thee, cut it off and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. Now, they're going to say this means you got to be a very careful good boy, or else you're going to go into hell. You just got to stop sinning if you want to go to heaven, bro. Let's read it. This parable, which obviously refers to cutting off occasions of sins, things in life that will drag people into offenses against God, only has a meaning if sins and works are a part of determining whether one attains salvation. By cutting off sinful things and bad works, one will save his soul. Man's sins and works are therefore a part of his justification. If man were justified by faith alone, this parable would not make any sense whatsoever. Really? So, already, with this statement that they've just made, they've damned everybody. You do not stop sinning in this life. You will never stop sinning in this life. I don't care if you're mother frickin' Teresa. I don't care if you are the Pope. I don't care if you are the best boy in the world right now among all sinful human creatures. You're gonna sin until you die. That's just a fact of life. So here, if we take their logic, they're saying any avenue of sin whatsoever at all means that you're going to go to hell if you don't remove it. So if you sin, there must be an avenue for sin. There must be an opening that you have not cut off. And yet here you are sinning, therefore you haven't done that. What is the one solution that you can do to never sin again, to never have an opportunity to sin? Well, probably a coma. Just put yourself in a coma, bro, because then you can't do anything that's sinful. You're in a coma. As regards the actual interpretation of this passage, have you noticed that this is in Matthew chapter 5, on the Sermon on the Mount, where our Lord Christ gives some of the hardest, most harsh, and unattainable commandments known to mankind, so much so that the Roman Catholic Church called most of what Jesus says in this sermon, oh, that's just advice. It's just advice, bro. It's so hard that even the Roman Catholic Church says you can't do it. <laughs> but they're here telling me, oh, you got to cut off all your sins or else you're going to hell because that's what Jesus meant. And you can't be justified by your faith. No, a proper response to what Christ is saying is, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner, because I sin. Because I'm going to sin. Have you ever read a chapter of the Bible, Romans chapter 7, where even St. Paul, a holy apostle before God, says he couldn't stop sinning? That with our flesh we serve the law of sin? Now, on one level, they are correct. Under the law, which says the man who does these things shall live by them, the law says you better be perfect, bro, or else you are going to go to hell. You are condemned to death if you are a sinner without 
a savior. But you see, the DeMond brothers are so into being correct, so into being correct given how the Roman Catholic Church has abandoned them, that they are willing to destroy the entirety of the Christian faith to preserve their correctness. Did you notice, and I quote, By cutting off sinful things and bad works, one will save his soul. Jesus isn't your savior if you believe the DeMond brothers. You are your savior. They are so busy hating on the Protestants that they have constructed a Christianity without Christ. Oh, the foundation of the church, the rock on which the church is built, that's not Jesus, that's not the gospel, that's Peter. That's Petey Boy over there. Oh, who's your savior? You're your savior if you try hard enough. <laughs> and um, oh, Let's see, who do we pray to? Who is the Ark of the Covenant? Who's the one that can boss God around because they're the queen? Oh yeah, Mary. Man, so glad that she's the, the real substance and soul of our faith here. They're building a Christianity without Christ, and it's apparently starting at its core with this denial of sola fide. We continue in the next section. Not all who say, Lord, Lord, will enter heaven, but he that does the will of God. From Matthew 7, verses 21 to 23, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you, depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Here we see that he who doth the will of God will enter heaven, not all who consider Jesus to be the Lord. Then Jesus emphasizes the point by stating that you must do what he says to be his. Matthew 7, verses 24 to 27, Therefore whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And every one that heareth these sayings of mine, and doth them not, shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. How clear does that have to be? It's a matter of whether you hear his words and do them. It's not by faith alone. I actually agree with the DeMond brothers that there is certainly a doing of the will of God that is very, very important to our salvation. Did you know that? Oh, yeah. John chapter 6, verses 28 and 29. Then they said to him, to Jesus, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. Do you want to do the works of God? Do you want to fulfill the will of God? Do you want to obey the commandments of God? Believe in Jesus. That counts. Good works will flow from that, certainly. But our Lord Christ says, believe in me. That's what he says to us about himself, if you want to do the works of God. It's that simple, guys. Now, the DeMond brothers don't like that verse. They're not going to bring it up. But I digress. You must persevere to the end to be saved. Matthew 10.22 
And ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake, but he that endureth to the end shall be saved. This totally contradicts the Protestant view of once saved, always saved. Also see Mark 13.13 13 for the same message. So they switch gears. They start blinding you with a subject change here because enduring to the end to be saved is enduring in what? The faith. Not apostatizing, not leaving the Christian faith, continuing to believe in Jesus. But they want to preempt your objections here because they are deceptive slime balls. They want you thinking about something else so that you don't get to respond to the garbage coming out of their fingers as they type this. So they bring up St. Paul talking about how you could be a castaway, 1 Corinthians 9 verses 24 to 27. The word castaway, they say, is adokimos, or reprobate, in 2 Timothy 3.8 and Romans 1.28. Lost souls, mortal sinners, apostates, and those who are outside the state of justification and or outside the faith of Jesus. Okay, but guess what? Not all Protestants hold to once saved, always saved, Mr. DeMond. You don't know what you're talking about. Give it a rest. But he continues, mortal sinners, including fornicators, drunkards, adulterers, etc., will not inherit heaven. Citing Galatians 5, verses 19 through 21, Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. Of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Hmm. Well, the DeMond brothers should be very, very careful that murder here is included there. And if you hate your brother, you're a murderer. So the Bible says, their hatred for other Christians is going to land them in hell if they don't repent of it and turn to faith in Christ. Citing 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 through 11, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners, shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but ye are washed but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. Now, they're not going to talk about that last sentence there that refutes everything they're about to say. <laughs> and such were some of you. You were considered a fornicator, an idolater, an adulterer, etc. Guess what, guys? Somebody who is an adulterer, somebody who has committed adultery, is an adulterer forever. If you commit adultery, that's what you are. You are an adulterer forever. But when you are washed in your baptism, you are sanctified. God makes you holy. When you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus, not by your works, and by the Spirit of our God who unites you to Christ, you don't get that title anymore. That's St. Paul's point. When you are a Christian, none of those titles belong to you in the eyes of God. 
but the Demond brothers are going to turn your attention instead to spanking the monkey. Yes, I kid you not. Before moving on, this is a quote, it should be noted that, according to St. Thomas Aquinas, the sin of uncleanness or effeminacy, which excludes one from heaven, according to the above verses, is the mortal sin of masturbation. Summa Theologiae, part 2, 2, question 154, answer 11. According to the Demond brothers, if you have kids, they turn 11, they hit puberty, and they start spanking the monkey, pulling the pud, whatever you want to call it, in the privacy of their room, they're going to hell. Now, the topic of whether masturbation is a sin is kind of beside the point. That's a topic for a whole different day. First off, they're just plain flat wrong. Malakoi in the Greek literally just means effeminate. Are you a pansy? Are you cross-dressing? Are you doing disgusting things that run counter to the gender God gave you at conception? If you are a boy, don't act like or pretend to be a girl. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 9. Don't be that. But, citing Thomas Aquinas, again, who just got it wrong. That Greek word in the Koine has never been used in the context of masturbation here. But the point is that the Demond brothers don't want anybody going to heaven. I have counseled enough Roman Catholic individuals who need help quitting pornography and their masturbation habit to say that none of anybody is saved, if these guys are correct. Because for the Roman Catholic theologians here, the Demond brothers, uh, the good works that God would have you do aren't good enough. Oh no, it's not enough to honor your father and mother. You also got to be praying the rosary. You got to be praying to the saints. You got to be wearing the scapular. You got to get yourself a tonsure. You got to wear the right thing. You got to do X, Y, or Z stuff because that's what's really holy. Not, not that Ten Commandments stuff we've been talking about. Oh no, you got to be doing these other works, these monastic works that God never commanded you to do. But I digress from that little rant. Let's see how the Demond brothers lie. How they just lie. These passages pose big problems for those who believe in justification by faith alone and or eternal security. The Bible teaches that mortal sins, grave sins, destroy the state of justification. It teaches that grave sins put people in a state in which they will be excluded from the kingdom of God. This coincides with the Catholic teaching that a believer can lose the state of justification and be damned if he or she commits a mortal sin, e.g. fornication, drunkenness, looking at pornography, etc., and dies in that state. Uh, that's not what a mortal sin is. A mortal sin is that sin from which you do not repent. If you sin with a high hand and say, I know better than God, I don't care that I did this thing that displeased him. Yes, that's a mortal sin because you are not putting your faith in God. If you had your faith in God, you would regret that sin. It's not, I did something really bad. The Sermon on the Mount demonstrates that a lot of what we think are little sins are actually big sins. Guess what? If you call your brother fool and you had no good reason to do so, you can be guilty of murder and sent to hell. That's right. 
you are considered guilty of murder if you hate your brother in your heart. It is that easy for God to see you as a murderer. But here, their definition of mortal sin is just something that's really, really bad. And they are willing to ignore St. Paul clarifying, hey, isn't it good that we have a Savior that saved us, that justified us? They want you to ignore all of that stuff that they just read off from 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. And they want you to focus on the sins that St. Paul was bringing up. Now, in light of these passages, Protestants have a problem. If all who commit mortal sins lose their justification, faith alone Protestants would have to say that no true believer commits mortal sins. No. No, I wouldn't say that. I'd say that we commit mortal sins if we are not penitent. If you do not have that penitent attitude of being sorry for your sins, wanting to do better, then your faith is not in Jesus Christ. But, absolutely, believers in Jesus can and do commit mortal sins. It's a problem. It's something we should be careful about. Because I want my faith to be in Jesus, not in my super awesome knowingness of how cool it was that I did X, Y, or Z sin. But they uh, like to set up little straw men here and say, This response doesn't work, however. The idea that no true believer commits mortal sins. There are millions of supposed Christians who say they have been saved by faith in Jesus. A countless number of them get drunk, fornicate, cheat, steal, etc. In other words, they commit clear mortal sins which the Bible says destroy the saint of justification. So, do you want to know what really destroys the state of justification? If you don't have faith in God. If you don't have faith in Jesus Christ, your Savior, you are not justified. They are responding to the quote-unquote holiness movement within Pentecostalism that posited that if you sin at all, you lose your salvation because you were never elect in the first place. A true believer doesn't do a heckin' mortal sin. So you need to be converted again to become a Christian again, to regain that justification that you had. Funny how that works these guys are on the same page as the holiness cult. Since the Bible clearly says that mortal sins destroy justification, faith alone Protestants are forced into arguing that all those believers who commit mortal sins were not true believers. No, I'm not. I'm not forced into saying anything of the sort, weirdo. They must admit that the assurance of justification or salvation, which those people thought they had by faith alone, was an illusion, a deception. They didn't really have true saving faith according to them, even though they thought they did. What are you getting at? I have never seen any Protestant of any denomination outside the holiness cult say, Man, that guy cheated on his wife? He was never a Christian to begin with. None of us say that. Nowhere. Where are you getting this idea? Well, they're getting this, this thing they made up, because they don't want you to see Jesus as your Savior. They really don't want you to think Jesus is your Savior, guys. They want you on a hamster wheel of works so you earn your salvation before God. Jesus died on the cross 
for nothing. Because, oh, those people out there doing heckin' sacrifices at the temple, yeah, they had the right idea. They were saved because they kept doing works. Jesus didn't need to die for anything. You could have just went and been a Jew. But apparently, Jesus died on the cross so that St. Peter could tell God what to do, and Mary could boss around her son, and you could go out and earn your ticket, purchase salvation through your works. That is exactly what they believe in, a Christianity without Christ. If you sin, well, you got to go to a priest who can remove that sin for you and tell you how you pay back God for it. Why not just go celebrate the Day of Atonement? Why not go get a scapegoat, huh? Because there's no point to this other than, well, now it's just a different version of working yourself to death to earn heaven. They don't want you to see that that is what they are positing. Jesus doesn't matter to them, so they will keep changing subjects. They will keep making things up like this magical, hyper-rare Christian that says, oh, if you are one of the elect, you don't sin, ever. You don't do a heckin' mortal sin because you are super awesome in faith. They made that guy up. Why? So that they can sneak in their anti-Christian beliefs, their Christianity without Christ. Moving on. Ephesians 5 verses 5 through 8 proves that it is possible for true believers to commit mortal sins and lose their salvation for such sins. This demolishes the idea of justification by faith alone and eternal security. What, are we reading the Daily Coast here or something? Are we reading like MSN articles? John Stewart obliterates the stupid conservatives with a joke. Or YouTube here. Watch Ben Shapiro bend over a liberal and break his back with facts and logic right on his spine. What does Ephesians 5 verses 5 through 8 say? For this ye know that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be not ye therefore partakers with them, for ye were sometimes darkness, but now ye are light in the Lord, walk as children of light. Yes, yeah, so if you live a life of persistent, impenitent, constant sin, and that's just your life now, you're going to go to hell, because you don't actually believe in Jesus. You really don't. Somebody who believes in Jesus is penitent over their sins. It is possible for someone to depart the Christian faith by consistent impenitent sin. I am a Protestant. I don't deny that. But that does not mean that I am saved by not doing these things. You can be damned through persistent mortal sin. That does not take away the fact that you are justified, declared righteous by faith alone. The inverse of what they are saying is not true. You can be damned through persistent mortal sin. That does not mean that you are saved by avoiding persistent mortal sin. It means you need to repent of those sins and turn to Christ who bled for those sins. That's what it means. You turn to the one 
who saves you, not you, not your super awesome, totally righteous refusal to do these things. Which, by the way, yes, for all Protestants listening, we shouldn't be sinning. We don't want to sin. Jesus did not die so that you can sin willy-nilly. Now, the DeMond brothers pretend to know their Greek, but they don't really. Because they say the above passage clearly teaches that justified believers could commit those grave sins. St. Paul warns them in Ephesians 5, 7, Be not ye therefore partakers with them. Therefore the believers could be partakers with mortal sinners. And if there is any doubt that he is including authentic believers in that warning, he speaks of them as those who are now light in the Lord. Yes, but the word sumetikos has this connotation of joining them, becoming them, being part of their crowd, so to speak, which is necessarily abandoning the true faith. The Demond brothers are not the only group that wants you to stop believing in Jesus. There are all sorts of crowds out there that want you to put your faith in your pleasures, in your belly, in your pee-pee, in some other god, in some political persuasion. Note here that St. Paul's list in Ephesians 5, 5 through 8 is not so comprehensive to where if you just avoid being these things, you're going to heaven. Whoremonger, unclean person, covetous man, an idolater, uh, they don't have any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. That's four things. It's meant to be expansive, guys. There's more than one thing or group that would tear you away from belonging to Jesus by faith. He could have included something like, I don't know, communism. You know, those leftists out there who treat their political persuasion as a religion. Yes, they exist. St. Paul would include this in his list because that's the start. It's a few examples. Political worship. I don't know, pornography worship, drug use, alcoholism, listening to the DeMond brothers and doing whatever they say. All of these things could tear you away from Christ if you decide you are a partaker in these things, meaning you join in with it. That's you now. Your religion is that thing. But the DeMond brothers don't care to actually think about these things because the number one thing, their true God is being right, supposedly, right? Their own opinions and everything is their real deity. And the religion that they are constructing is one in which nobody is saved. Check out their interpretation of the parable of the talents. You know... Matthew 25, verses 15 through 30, where there's a guy that gets five talents, he makes five more. There's a guy who gets two talents, he makes another two. And then there's the guy who does nothing with the one talent except, like, bury it and give it back later. What do they say about this? In this parable, we see that the person is condemned for sloth, for laziness, and failing to do things with the talents he has received. He was condemned because he didn't work with his talents to gain more talents. This parable completely contradicts justification by faith alone. What's extremely interesting about this is that it says the Lord reaps where he has not sown. In other words, the Lord expects us to do and to produce our own works done with his grace. 
if we do not cooperate with his grace to produce such works and are not able to present such supernatural works before him at the judgment, we will be cast into hell. This parable confirms Catholic teaching on works while completely refuting Protestant views. That's right, guys. If you don't do enough, you are damned. Babies that die of SIDS, damned. Coma patients that went into a coma so that they wouldn't commit mortal sins anymore, damned. If you are feeling bad, you are sick and you just can't do anything that day, damned. Old people, damned. Everybody just going straight to hell because guess what, Mr. Demond? You will never do enough good works to earn heaven. Have you noticed that when Jesus says in Matthew 5:48, "Be ye perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect," that maybe you get just a little scared because you know damn well you are not perfect. No, you cannot do enough good works. You cannot bring enough talents before God for him to say, "Well done, thou good and faithful servant." Yes, good works are a necessary fruit of faith. This does not destroy sola fide. It affirms it because the proper response to a passage such as this is, Lord, have mercy. Help me. I cannot do enough. And any good works that I produce, knowing that the righteousness of man is as filthy rags before God, only you can make me righteous. Only you can have me bear fruit in accordance with your commandments. I put my trust in you. Help me. This crass little book, you guys. Over 50 pages now, we have read reason after reason after reason to stop believing in Jesus, to stop trusting in him for your salvation, and to start trusting in everything else. From the saints, to Peter, to Mary, to you being a very good boy. Christ is worthless to the Demond brothers. And if you listen to what they say and follow after what they are teaching, he will be worthless to you as well. Next week we will go over their uh, answers to Protestant arguments regarding sola fide. And we will see much of the same. Because they very much want their true God, believing themselves to be right, to be honored. And we will see more of that next week. Until then, our Lord bless you and keep you. Amen and amen. Amen.